welcome to Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro. And I'm Tara. Welcome back to our podcast and thanks for being with us. As you may know, we bring you conversations from fantastic entrepreneurs who are solving real problems, disrupting traditional business, and putting their customers at the center of their success. We will match those leaders with Zendesk executives for a very casual coffee shop conversation because we all miss that. On this podcast, our interviews will dive into fascinating stories of leaders that are building business to serve a diverse customer base, turning customers into fans in every interaction. For this episode, our guest is Elisa Reggiardo, who is dubbed the Chief Troublemaker Officer of Timeshift. Elisa is a former aspiring ballet dancer turned Chief Brand Officer and author. She works side by side with the founders of Timeshift, a workforce management software startup. Timeshift helps companies with scheduling, tracking, and monitoring their customer service team. And that can be done without losing a company's culture, believe it or not. This conversation is definitely interesting for so many reasons. We match Elisa with Sarah Reed, former author and now Senior Director of Content and Event Strategy at Zendesk. If you attended Relate or any other Zendesk conference, Sarah is not a stranger face to you. She has been hosting Relate by Zendesk since its first edition. Relate brings customer experience leaders from all over the world to celebrate and share how they're building better relationships with their customers. Now, sit down and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing very well as well. Very, very happy to hear your voice. It's nice to hear yours too. And where are you today? Well, I'm in Lisbon. Have you been here? <laughs> I have. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. And, you know, it's a shame we're so far apart. You know, we've traveled around the world together. And, you know, I was so hoping to see you multiple times this year. It's one of my highlights. And I was thinking about it this morning that even though we have spent so much time together, I don't think we've ever sat down and had a cup of coffee. Or a glass of wine. I mean, we've had a glass of wine in passing. Passing but <laughs> with a lot of people around us. But that's very true. I guess we'll need to pin that and make sure that that happens next time we're in the same town. So if we were in a cafe in Lisbon right now, what would you order? I mean, I really take um, espressos when I go to coffee places, but um, I would definitely invite you for a wine instead. <laughs> a green wine, <laughs> namely, because um, it's one of the perks of living in Portugal is having green wine at coffee places. So what, what about you? Would you also take a coffee or a glass of wine? Well, considering it's still morning for me, <laughs> I might, you know, but I will say I am prone to a cup of coffee and I like an almond milk latte, I will fully acknowledge it, and a glass of water and a glass of wine. There you so go. My, pre my preference is all three at the same time. Perfect trinity. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, I would say you and I are pretty kindred spirits, and, and we have been from the moment we met. We both love tattoos, which is unfortunate people can't see them right now. True. Uh, we are... Known for having some unique fashion choices at times, <laughs> and I would say we're very passionate about customer customer experience, but more importantly, customer support. Like we love the true customer service teams, and you know. But what else should people know about you? 
<laughs> for how many hours do we have? Um, I guess I, I developed my passion for customer support into also other areas that orbitate around customer support, which back at the time when I started in this industry, I had no idea even existed. Um, I actually didn't even know customer support was a thing, right? Um, and I guess one of the things that maybe people should know about me is that I I was I started studying or dancing classical ballet when I was three years old, and I was very committed to be a very famous prima ballerina. And then, you know, life happened. So um, I had an injury and I stopped dancing when I was 17. And that's kind of what took me to customer support (laughs) in a very indirect way, um, because I had to pick what to do with my life. And at the time, I had learned a few languages. And that's what got me to a customer support role when I was 19. And I've never let go this industry ever since. But I would say for anyone who's in a support role or has had a career in customer support, while that may be unusual, not many of us start off as professional ballet dancers. uh, Nobody goes into this career thinking, I want to be a support professional for the rest of my life. We all fall into it. It's, It's something that, and when you do and you love it, it never leaves your blood. Never. And you see everywhere as well. And you see it in your work and outside of your work and you share with your family. And I, I don't know, I feel like none of us heard what customer support was when we were children. You know, <laughs> either you want to be a rock star or a lawyer or like a, or a writer. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then somehow we landed here and then it's this thing that you really want to share with the world. Like, hey, this exists. And there is like all these fabulous people dedicating their lives to, you know, make these experiences better. You work for TimeShift. And if you go to the website and look up you on the website, it refers to you as the chief troublemaker. Uh, I did not think that. I didn't think that (laughs) for myself. What exactly does that mean? I mean, it sounds like the job I would want, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess you could summarize it. In, I'm that person that made seven members of our team get Time Shift logos tattooed on their skin. One of them had just joined the company one week before. <laughs> so that's the level of troublemaker that I I, I can be. Yeah. Um do you have time shift tattooed anywhere? I do. I do. I have one. All right. So that, that obviously means you love the company or you wouldn't get the logo tattooed on you. What about time shift gets you so excited? Um, so many things. I, I guess when I decided to start working for time shift, the key thing that made me take that decision was that for the first time in my career, I was going to be able to participate on building a product or building a company, building a product that would serve customers that I actually believe needed to be solved. And I actually believe at the time, and I believe it even more now, that we're doing a great thing, right? And I had had many amazing experiences with jobs before, but it was also like most of the time was about, I love the team, I love the culture, you know, like I love what I'm learning, how I'm, I can grow within this company. But that was the piece was missing, like feeling identified by what we are doing and really believing in that. That was the one thing that made me 
really fell in love with Time Chef, and that's still nowadays like very true. There are many more things now, but <laughs> <laughs> but that was the reason. So for people who may not know about Time Shift, what's the quick little synopsis of what you do, who you are, why you're important? So I'm going to say a word that might not sound very, very sexy, which is Time Shift is a workforce management solution. Um, and we know we get it. It's not doesn't sound super fun. Right. But actually, it is so important for CX teams to have a tool that allow them to have the right person, the right place doing the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. That that's in a nutshell what we try to do. Long story short, historically, workforce management hasn't evolved a lot during the past decades. Um, and it needed to change, right? In the way that CX industry is changing, there was no place for WFM to be stuck in the past. So a few years ago, um, our founder, David, um, decided that he needed to be the person changing that. And I was lucky enough to be the fourth employee at Timeshift and see that process being you know, built from the ground up. And I actually found Timeshift because I was managing, you know, um, a Zendesk account and reporting and the whole mm. nine yards in another company and without really knowing what WFM was at the time, because I was, you know, right. it was a startup, I was wearing many hats, you know, <laughs> I was like, I just need to find out what agents are doing, how can I organize everything? And then I, I scheduled a call with this person and I didn't even know who he was. He showed me time shift and I was like, gosh, this is it. Like this will fix all my problems and will get me to where I need to go. Um, so you didn't even know what you needed at the time. I didn't. And you knew there was a gap, but you weren't quite sure how to pinpoint what it was. And Time Shift walked in and said, well, here, this, this is what you're missing. Yeah. And, it, and this is what you can get. Exactly. And it seems so uncomplicated, just going to a marketplace and installing an app and after five minutes being able to see what my agents were doing, you know, I was like, wow, <laughs> is this magic? Because uh, I had been struggling, you know, like for a long time with spreadsheets in the whole nine yards. Like I, I, I hope that someone identifies by this because um, I felt very lonely and isolated in that painful process. Um, but yeah, it, it turned out it wasn't that complicated, you know. But you're hitting on so many important things. You know, I ran contact centers for almost 20 years, and almost every new startup that I joined, one of the first things I would do is take a look at their workforce management. Because you're right, it's the most unsexy <laughs> of the uh, of the the necessary components of customer support from an operations standpoint but it can be a game changer. When you know where your agents are or where they're supposed to be and what they're doing, and that can change the entire dynamic of a support organization because the agents feel better about what they're doing because they're doing the right thing at the right time with the right person (laughs) and your customers are happier. But it's almost always a hard sell internally because CEOs and founders oftentimes think of workforce management as a control mechanism. And so if you're coming into an organization that has a really open culture, it can be hard to convince the powers that be that you need this tool. When when you see um, leadership and CEOs being very protective, that's actually a great sign because they're coming from an angle that actually matches their culture and it's not like they're trying to impose something that 
they don't know how it's going to work out. When we see um, leadership teams being extremely careful, like, okay, how are my agents going to react to this? It's just a matter of understanding how can we roll this out in a way where they feel also involved and comfortable, right? And that's actually a great point. Like, yes, tracking and monitoring what agents are doing can be seen from that angle. Like, oh, there is a big brother tracking everything you do. And one of the things we hear the most, like, I don't want to have to fire my agents. And yeah, you don't need to. By learning what's not working, you can definitely use that information to empower your agents, to increase their productivity, to allocate them to the places or to the tasks that they enjoy the most doing or they feel um, more, um, I know, they can master those tasks, right? Or you can also identify the ones where they are getting stuck all the time, right? And then use that for coaching purposes. And it's, it's about the way you roll it out. It's not the tool, it's how you do it that can be the game changer. I wish that we could see the audience right now and I would have people raise their hands and be like, all right, who has a customer support organization, whether it's one person or a hundred people, like raise your hand. And then who has workforce management? How many people, what percentage do you think would raise their hand? I, I think that nowadays um, more and more teams are using at least a portion of workforce management because um, there are like so many things, right? You have um, the part that tracks your activity, the part that allows you to have visibility, and then as teams scale, they need scheduling, right? And they need advanced reporting or they need forecasting. However, I would bet that at least 80% of the audience would, have, would be using at least a part of a full workforce management solution right now. And they're probably also using spreadsheets, right? <laughs> and and how do you get you know people to move beyond that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with spreadsheets. I'm not a spreadsheet hater by any means, but there are more efficient ways to be doing this. And it's also about, you know, you talked about you know, how do you how do you roll this out and communicate it appropriately? And a, and a tool like TimeShift actually helps you with the transparency side of things because you can share that data so much you know, easier and cleaner to not just you know the upper levels, but certainly also to your agents. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that visibility is something that needs to be, um, I don't know this word in, in English right now, is, do you say democratized, democratized? Yes. Yeah, do. that's yes. my Latina talking now. It's like, oh. <laughs> in, the sense, in the sense that I, I, I was an agent for a long, long time. And I remember wanting to see how am I doing, right? And not wanting to wait until my manager had that bi-weekly one-to-one with me to share, oh, this is how many tickets you've solved, or this is where you are falling behind. Your first response time, you know, like isn't quite there. and those are the things that our workforce management solution can solve, right? You can uncover the information for both sides. And let's face it, like if you wait to share feedback one month later, one week later on some key stats with your agent, that time has passed. You can't really fix what has already been done. But if you actually enable your agents to see what they're doing in real time, First of all, you're giving them autonomy, you're empowering them, and they can also be more self-conscious and act on those data points right away during the day. So you actually can spend those meetings 
or the time that you have with your agents to work on how do I get you from A to B? What makes you happy? How does a career in, in support look for you, right? And all those amazing things that you do want to work on with your agents. I, I love everything that you're talking about because it's really about empowerment and it is around helping agents understand that this is more than just a job. Like they're they're doing something extraordinary for someone on the other end of, of the communication channel, be it phone chat, email, social, it doesn't matter. Like whatever they however they're talking to a customer, they're conveying help. And that is just when you think of it that way, it's such an extraordinary thing. And to all the, the leaders out there, what you're helping them identify is that there's a human behind every metric. We are so metric focused in support. <laughs> and this helps really humanize the, the numbers and helps tell the story that, that we need to hear. Yeah. And I think I always say this, I feel like support agents are worth their weight in gold because uh, none of this would happen if they wouldn't be there for our customers. So if there's anything that tools can do to support them, do their job better, and actually focus on the things that matter, then that's what we need to build, right? That's onto us companies to make sure that that happens. Yes, no pressure. <laughs> no, no pressure at all. So we understand the importance of support. We get all this. Why do you think support gets deprioritized with so many founders? I think it's not easy to be a founder, not that I've been one, but I've seen it very closely a few times. And when you're wearing a lot of hats, which let's face it, if there are founders hearing us, I, I feel like they identify by that. Um, it's it's hard to let go that piece of your business where you're so close in contact with your customers, right? And it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to bring someone in and prioritize that over I still want to be in touch with my customers very closely. I want to understand what they're emailing us or what they are struggling with or what they are saying about what I've built because it's my tiny baby, right? Um, so I think it can happen that, you know, like that first hire, that first support agent can feel very scary. Um, and what I've seen happen is, you know, people trying to bring this like super, super experienced support person to dedicate themselves just to support. And that's where things like kind of don't really work out because that founder is wearing so many hats that also needs like a companion, you know, like a partnering crime that is also wearing a lot of hats. And those key people that you build around you for your core team are going to be the ones that will then evolve into all these different areas of your company. And they will grow with you and you don't need to really spend a lot of money, right? Which is also most of the times the case um, on bringing someone with tens of years of experience and support. You just need someone hungry to learn and build something with you. That's such a great point because we, in a startup organization, and and I know people say this all the time, but the people that you that you initially start a company with are oftentimes not the people who should be in those positions 
five years down the road because they need to move on into other parts of your organization because they have such in-depth knowledge. And that's probably the time then where you need to upskill or change how your support organization is. And that's when you can bring someone in exactly. who's done this for multiple exactly. places at multiple times and understands scale and understands massive growth and allow that first support leader to now move on into your organization and do other fabulous things. Yeah, and that's where, you know, like all these roles around the core of support arise, right? When you have five agents, you don't need someone to take care of QA, someone to take care of documentation and training, someone to take care even of workforce management. You really don't need that. You need someone wearing a lot of hands, trying to get done as much as, as the person can. But then that person can also discover, you know, their passion. And whenever your team scales and you start needing people fully dedicated to all these different areas is where people will get to see where they feel they fit best. Right. And live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> and live happily ever after. Which leads me to a question. Um I, you started off wanting to be a, a ballet dancer. I started off wanting to be a writer. We both ended up in support, but somehow you ended up writing a book. You just wrote a book last year. I don't know how, I still don't know how. <laughs> and this, by the way, was before quarantine and shelter at home. Uh, when did you have time <laughs> to do this? Well, um, fun story. The Actually writing the book, it was a two-month process. And I co-wrote this book with Alexa, uh, who's our content writer at Timeshift, because I, I, I know nothing about writing. So I needed like someone to talk me into <laughs> sense, right? I just wanted to share a story. And then she talked me into, you know, okay, this is how we're going to do this. And back then she was in Japan. I was in Lisbon. So big time zone gap. So what we used to do is her evening was my morning. And I would wake up, you know, grab some coffee. I might have had a few morning wines, but you will stay between you, I, and the audience. <laughs> and then we do these like eight hour Zoom calls to brainstorm and deep dive on like all these things that we wrote in the book. Um, and then I would end it up and then work on time shift things. So it was, it was very fun, very intense. And yeah, it was a very personal process, in, in fact, because I felt for a long, long time that my story was unique and that I was the only one um, feeling lost and like, what am I supposed to do with my career? Um, how is this even a career, <laughs> I guess? And then when I started meeting people um, and seeing there's like most of the people I know and support never actually thought this would be actually a career, right? So I had to go back to those places when I felt uh, a little bit lost and that wasn't easy but I've been hearing so many people share like I just read your book and that's exactly what happened to me I'm happy someone said it and that just makes all those like long long days 100% worth it totally worth it and it is such a great book and go ahead and do a shameless plug for me because what's the title where can people find it because it is extraordinary <laughs> <laughs> well um I, I'm terrible at doing self-like. Uh, so the the book, I'm laughing because I feel like the title of the book couldn't be funnier given the current situation. It's called Undefined World. <laughs> yes, it's called Undefined World. I actually got a tattoo of it on my arm, previous of the entire 
situation in 2020 and, and now I feel like okay I should hide my arm because um, <laughs> people are going to think it's about a global pandemic and it's not it's a book <laughs> um, um, and I just wanted to share uh, you know like life in CX stories and beyond that and how uh, I went from wanting to be a ballerina and I started a job as a support agent and that took me to 10 different roles that I've been through and am right now and also interview people that share that path, right? That they had no idea they would end up working in support and how they then shifted to product managers, to QA managers, to workforce managers, like the whole nine yards. And um, we have a website, which is undefined-world.com and you can get the book there if you want. <laughs> well, for anyone who is in support, know someone in support has ever had customer support. <laughs> it is a worthwhile read. Thank you. Um, so before I let you go, what's, you know, how do you how do you encourage people to follow their passion? What's what's the one piece of advice that you give for anyone who doesn't think they have the time or the experience or just that they don't deserve to go off and follow what they want to do. It's a, it's a great question. And um, I do feel like whatever I answer now might change in a few years because that's who, how I work, you know. And I after I've learned that change is truth that will follow us forever, I started feeling more comfortable. Um, I guess right now, to me, the, the answer would be find a mentor. And a mentor can be really anyone. can be your boss can be your friend, can be your wife, can be your, you know, however you want to find a mentor in, in whichever person you find it, it really changed um, the way that I saw my career and like all the fears that I had and all the insecurities that I had on it. Like, should I try this? Can I go and do, try these other things? Um, and then also acknowledge the fear and the freeze, right? It's a big part of who we are as humans. It's just how we work. But after you look at it, and take a little bit of distance. There are like so many paths that we can follow. Well, that's phenomenal advice. And I, it, I regret so little about this time that we're having in quarantine because I do think it's, it's a phenomenal learning experience for us. But I do regret not seeing you at a Zendesk oh, event gosh. this year because we yes. we should have had like three, maybe four under our belt by at now. least, at least. <laughs> And so the next time we are together, we are not going to take it for granted and we will have that cup of coffee with almond milk, then the glass of water and the glass of wine. <laughs> No more spreadsheets. I'm not a spreadsheet hater, but there are better ways to do things. Thanks for sharing your story, Elisa. It's impressive to see how Elisa started as a ballerina, moved to a customer service job, and is now creating trouble at Timeshift. What a great group to have a cup of water, coffee, and wine, and talk about customer experience and tattoo for hours. I really like how they mentioned that the founders and CEOs often think of workforce management as a control mechanism, conflicting with an organization's open culture, which makes sense, right? But what we learned is that it's actually the opposite. Investing in workforce management solution allows your startup to scale without losing customer support quality, which actually drives better employee retention and many other benefits. It's cool that you can democratize information for the team so everyone knows what's going on. 
Such a great point, Tara. I'm a strong believer in hiring hungry people to help build a startup in the very early days. If you want to hear more from Sarah and Elisa, check it out our online series CX Moment. And tune in next time with Guilherme Malbach, CEO and co-founder of Lemless. And if you like this episode, don't forget to rate us on your podcast of choice. Maybe even share it with a co-founder. Keep us posted. We will love your feedback. And when Pedro and I are not recording this podcast, we are part of Zendesk for Startups. If you're a startup, go to www.zendesk.com forward slash startups and sign up to join our program. Qualified companies get six months free of Zendesk software for customer support, sales, and customer engagement teams. They also get connected with our exclusive community of leaders and partners who are changing the landscape of customers' experiences. Talk to you next time. Stay hungry. Thank you.